This podcast series is meant for financial advisors and investment professionals only and does not constitute general or personal advice. Please refer to imap.asn.au forward slash publications forward slash podcast dash series for more details. Hello and welcome to the latest in the IMAP podcast series, Independent Thought. Today it's my pleasure to be joined by Isaac Paul from the Oriana Portfolio Advisory Service and Matthew Khalil, Portfolio Manager at Janice Henderson. And we're going to be talking about a multi-strategy approach to alternatives. We're going to be talking about the role of alternatives in portfolios some of the ways in which alternative strategies can be obtained um, and the benefits that they might deliver um, into portfolios and the considerations for portfolio managers um, in thinking about alternatives. So, Isaac and Matthew, welcome to the Independent Thought podcast series. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, So, so what are alternative strategies and, and how might managed account portfolios take advantage of them? Matthew? We would, from our perspective as a manager, we would look at alternatives from, firstly, the sources of return uh, being, you know, by definition, alternative to what you can pick up in uh, public markets, stocks and bonds in particular. And then we further break that down into listed and unlisted. Uh, We focus on the listed side uh, within our multi-strategy fund, but there's a whole host of unlisted investments, obviously, that uh, offer different benefits. And when you talk about multi-strategy, you can talk about that at the fund level, which is where we operate. You could also talk about that, obviously, at the, uh, the level that Isaac operates, which is diversifying amongst different alternatives. So... From our perspective, it's uh, blending uncorrelated strategies, doing something very different to stock and bond markets, and in particular, bond and stock market beta. Isaac, as a portfolio manager of managed account portfolios, um, how do you think about alternatives um, and how do you seek to uh, access them? Yeah, I mean, we have a a fairly simple definition that that we use at Oriana, and and that is basically alternatives, uh, anything that isn't a long-only position in in fixed income or or equities. So, I mean, it's a a simple definition, but you can see that that means the the class of alternatives is is really quite broad. And so, um, you know, we we would look in our portfolios and say if we have a long-short equities manager, we're going to classify that as something that is alternative, if we have a relative value credit manager who's able to be long short, we will classify that as something that's alternative. And, and it also, though, you know, within that definition means um, you can go right out the liquidity spectrum, like the way Matthew's talking about, real assets can be a, a clearly alternative. Um, there's an element of alternatives within uh, within listed property, for example. Um, and, and it means that using that definition, we've got a, a pretty broad toolset when we think about implementing alternatives in our in our multi-asset portfolios. Um, the, the, the way that we implement them is, uh, is going to matter because you're talking about managed accounts here and that really does lop off uh, one part of the distribution of, of liquidity. You're not going to be able to whack a, 
a, um, a real asset very easily in a managed account that has 10 years of, of um, liquidity lockup, for example. So when we're building those portfolios, we need to be really clear about what the role of the alternative is and that that's going to be a diversification role primarily for us um, and uh, and what the liquidity is and, and that's going to be limited in, in the sense of what we can use. And then we're going to have to think about if, if we're looking at a single strategy type uh, alternative or more of a multi-strategy alternative, how they're going to blend together within the portfolio and how they're going to interact with the, um, with the other assets as well. Um, so, Matthew, in, in approaching a range of, of asset classes, a range of asset types, um, Isaac's talked about um, alternatives as being anything that isn't long only. Um, is that consistent with your view and, and your approach to markets? Within a multi-strategy framework, yes, uh, you, you want to try and achieve something which is relatively neutral to stock market beta in particular and uh, generate truly diversifying returns. And what, what that simply means is things that perform on the left tail when stocks and bonds are correcting. Does this have the potential to make money? Uh, strategies that potentially dampen portfolio volatility or that can actually harvest that volatility. Uh, so, you know, within the multi-strategy portfolio that we run, we have a CTA strategy, which is directional and leveraged. We also have market neutral strategies. We have event-driven strategies, which neutralise the beta. So it's a mix of things, but, you know, a, a lot of the, the benefits of that strategy come about from putting together uh, different strategies that genuinely do different things at different times. So, you know, when you look at a trend-following strategy, for example, that can have extended periods where nothing much happens. But then suddenly you get uh, a 2008 or what we've seen in the last month where, uh, bond and rate markets move very quickly and that move is sustained. So that sits, it, it's sitting strategies like that alongside other strategies that are neutral or uh, in different markets. And so, Isaac, you, you, you can't see into Matthew's fund to see the positions that he's taking and the approaches that he's taking. So, so how do you get comfort that... Um, the active calls that a manager like uh, like Matthew um, or Janice Henderson are taking, um, sort of consistent with your own thinking about about the the direction of markets. Yeah, it, it's it's really important to to spend time on the on the due diligence process with your alternatives managers, and I think that's because um, they're they're looking to uh, look across a whole range of different strategies potentially, and uh, and and uh, return opportunities that we're not going to have the clarity on. I mean, we're not talking about a, a stream of cash flows here that you can just discount back like a bond or, a, or an equity. There's a, there's a range of uh, strategies that can be be used. And, uh, and that for us means within our manager research process and within our governance budget, we're going to commit a whole lot more time to, uh, to talking to our uh, alternatives managers than, than we do to our equity and bond managers. And I think... There's reams of research out there that, that shows that the you know the the second quartile and third quartile returns and uh, and outcomes for your alternatives are, are significantly worse than the top. Uh, they're not they're not sort of lumped together like you find with with your typical equity and, and bond managers. So, you know, for us, it's getting a lot of comfort around the skill level of the uh, of the manager, getting some comfort around the way that they think about blending 
their different strategies or uh, the way that they think about implementing their specific strategy, if it's single strategy, um, and then keeping close to them through uh, through through time. So finding a great manager, sticking with them. We we typically don't uh, don't see our alternatives um, uh, allocations as something where we want to make big active allocations or big active uh, moves and, and changes to that allocation. Once we find a good uh, alternative manager who we we believe is going to offer us diversification or some sort of important downside protection when uh, as Matthew said returns hit head towards that left uh, left hand side of the distribution you know you, you're not looking to make big active moves in that find a great manager put them in the portfolio get comfortable with them leave them there and only make changes if you've got a really good reason to make a change. And Matthew, the, the sort of the complexity of running um, multiple strategies must be significant. I mean, so how do you think about the, the sort of the blend of strategies at any particular point in time? Yep. It's a good question. To Isaac's point, we, it really is based upon the skill set of the managers and we have a diversified, you know, really, really diverse team in Sydney and Brisbane, London, Denver and Chicago and we break up the the strategy into various sleeves, and each of those sleeves is, you know, for example, market neutral, event driven, uh, protection, and there are particular portfolio managers that focus on those strategies where they have a strength. So, uh, the the sleeve that I'm involved in predominantly is the protection sleeve, and we run the CTA or trend following strategy. That's there for a specific purpose. You know, we've been doing this for over twenty years, and to Isaac's point. When you dig deeper, you can you can generally pick up what should a trend follower do, what should you expect from a market neutral strategy, a liquidity strategy. Uh, you get an expectation of both risk and returns. So our strategy is definitely based upon the team and the particular individuals that have quite a lot of skill in those areas. And, and and Isaac, for when you hear a manager like like Janice Henderson talking in that way, as I say, come back to that question of sort of alignment of your own views with with those of of, of the managers. Um, what what is that process of alignment? Yeah, I'll I'll pick up on something that Matthew said, and I think it's really critical and you know re- reflective, obviously, of of the way that they think about um, their their purpose, uh, and that's the that's the word that Matt used. I think it's a great word to to use and to put out there. Um, know your purpose. Know 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 the role or the objective of that that manager, and have a really really clear idea about what that objective is and how that objective is going to interact with the rest of your your portfolio. Right. So as an allocator, uh, I'll I'll have a very clear objective of, of my multi asset portfolio it'll be a return target there'll be a risk target you know there's going to be a time frame for achieving that and uh and you know saying oh, i want to put some alternatives in, in there is kind of a pointless comment in a way what you're really looking to do is find a great strategy or a great manager who's going to help you achieve that objective over time consistently repeatedly and and deliver on your promise to the client so spending time with um you know manager like Matthew and, and sort of understanding really, really clearly what that objective is, how they achieve that, how they plan to achieve that, what markets are going to be beneficial, what markets are going to be challenging, um, how, how repeatable is it. It's such a critical part of, of the process. And, and this is where I think a lot of allocators get unstuck because 
they go into the idea of uh, of alternatives and they hear there's been you know great managers out there in the past who you know followed the endowment method for example and loaded up on on alts and they want to do that in their uh, fully liquid portfolio in a, in a managed account and of course they 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 find it challenging because they they're using a completely different tool set to you know an endowment uh, or a sovereign fund and uh, and and that's that's the risk and and i guess my observation stepping out of that uh, that sovereign world and into into the wealth space in Australia is that um, that alternatives are classified to to you know, almost exclusively as growth assets, you know, and, and they're put on platform as growth assets, and and you know, uh, not uh, a long short equity is considered a growth asset, not an alternative. It could be market neutral; it doesn't matter. It's a growth. There's, there's a real real challenge here in the wealth space, I think, about how these are. Um, identified, how they're thought about, how they're put into portfolios. And it's led some advisors and I think led some allocators down the garden path in the past where, where they, they say alternatives, I better have a CTA, you know, to use one of Matthew's example, that'll do me in, in every market environment. Well, it's bonkers. It's not going to. Uh, you know, you've got to go deeper and you've got to work with the managers and really understand the purpose of the manager and how that interacts with your purpose. And um, we, we've spoken a couple of times, or the, the words volatility and risk have come, come up a couple of times, and, and we spoke a little about that um, when we were preparing for today's session. So, so let, let's focus particularly on the role of, of alternative strategies in, in risk management in portfolios. Well, I mean, may, maybe I'll, I'll jump in just really, really quickly and, and then throw to Matt because I know has yeah, got really crystal clear views on this, but um, yeah, I, to to my point earlier, I we find great alternative managers, and we tend not to change them a lot, but we have changed them in the past, and and we've changed them relatively recently. We made uh, some allocation changes where we looked out over our uh, our time horizon and and said to ourselves, the the volatility regime is changing, the volatility outlook looks different. We think there's going to be either more or less volatility in, in the near term. And that environment is one that is not going to be so positive for this manager's purpose. But we've got other managers that we like and, and understand and, and their strategy is going to fit in there perfectly. And that is a really, I think, important part of the dynamic side of, uh, of alternative allocation um, yeah, and, and I, I know Matt has, uh, has has great views around that regime environment for volatility. Yeah, thanks for that, Isaac. Um, it, it's it's a really fascinating uh, area. We're probably spending more time doing our own reading and research on the volatility cycle and the interest rate cycle or the debt cycle because all of this is going to impact portfolios going forward. If we have, for example, hit the bottom of the uh, interest rate cycle that's been in place for over 30 years. And we've seen we've seen the ructions in the last couple of weeks with the uh, short-term interest rate market in Australia. This is being watched globally. Central banks are starting to get tested. And what happens to the yield curve in the next few years is absolutely fundamental. But there's not just what happens to rates. It's the type of volatility. You know, the volatility that we saw in the last week or two is unbelievable. And we think that is potentially what we're going to see more of. We've 
not just seen that in interest rate markets. We've seen natural gas prices explode higher. You know, we trade a lot of commodities as part of what we do. We believe that, uh, you know, inflation, people talking about hyperinflation don't really understand what that means, but we believe there's a high potential for uh, higher baseline levels of inflation that are stickier based upon less investment going into energy markets having a great idea about transitioning to ESG and to renewables, but in the interim, that, that introduces volatility. So I think a good alternative manager or a good asset class manager, whether it's uh, fixed interest or equities or what we do, uh, potentially benefits from that kind of volatility and can actually harvest that volatility. You know, quite a few of our strategies have a positive correlation to not just uh, large moves, but shifts in volatility. Um, now, we trade fixed interest uh, bond auctions, for example, and there's a high correlation there uh, to volatility that does benefit us. A certain type of volatility and extended price movement benefits trend followers. But to Isaac's point, that doesn't happen all of the time. So uh, whether it's a multi-strategy approach that you're using or blending different types of strategies incorporating a view on interest rates and inflation and understanding that the debts, you know, the current levels of government debts have ramifications. This is all really important things to consider for portfolio construction. Uh, you know, the last time we saw high levels of debt and inflation was after World War II. The 70s, we had low levels of debt, low growth and inflation. Right now, we're at uh, you know, historic lows, but very high debt. So the way that central banks deal with these debt levels by potentially inflating away that nominal debt, that has really big implications for your bond holdings if they're passive. So what we would think is more appropriate to look at is uh, we think there's a, a bigger place for active management and for uh, more differentiated sources of returns, you know, where you have inflation above 2% and 10-year bonds below 2%, uh, that's that's a bit of a problem for uh, bond investors. Isaac, I can see you uh, nodding your head um, uh, when you hear uh, Matt talking about um, active versus passive. Um, do, does Oriana have a view on the active-passive debate at this time? I mean, we we think that there's a role for active and passive uh, for for investors based on their beliefs, based on their capacity or, or willingness to 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 stump up the um the fees that come with active management, and and that 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 discussion I think is really really relevant within the long only world, and and I think that's where it dominates. And uh, I mean, we we do look out like uh like Matthew and and say that. The environment is probably going to be more challenging over the next few years, and uh, and that theoretically, and, and we we hope is is going to be where you, your active managers are going to be able to provide uh, more more upside, whether that's in uh, dampening downside risk and volatility, or, or providing up uh, providing returns, ultimately providing better risk adjusted returns, um, you know, over the medium term, which is what we focus on. Of course, it's a completely different debate and discussion when you when you get to alternatives. Um, you know, you 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 are ultimately here speaking about um, active management and and the skill of the manager accepting things like um, uh, uh, ETFs in in 
property or or the like, which is is really dominated by equity market beta anyway, right? So, uh, you know, when it comes to comes to the alternative sleeve, when you if if you believe as as we do, uh, as as Matthew's pointed out, um, that there is challenges ahead for investors, and and those challenges are linked to inflation, they're linked to the central bank challenges that we got a pretty good insight into last week from the Reserve Bank and the Bank of England and, and the Fed, um, then you know, we think it's appropriate to spend your, your government's budget, if you like, or, or your manager research budget on, on finding um, great alternative uh, managers who are going to play their, uh, play their role and, and meet their purpose within your portfolio. And so, Matthew, I mean, you, you introduced the topic of where we are today and and how it might how it might um, evolve from here. Um, just go back and crystallise what what it is that you see now as as the big drivers um, for, for for investment market behaviour look, looking forward and the role that alternatives are going to play um, in that. I think when you start to see markets that have struggled for many years, such as commodities, uh, starting to move higher on fundamental grounds, I think that is one of the big themes that we haven't seen in many years. You know, commodity markets since 2008 have been uh, falling quite steadily. We've had an abundance of a whole host of commodities. And so that hasn't been something that's had an impact upon CPI. We're now seeing uh, the beginnings of that. So, you know, we're, we're formally you could uh, you could discount commodity prices as being a risk to markets. That's now at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Uh, so, the things you should look at for an alternative manager uh, are things such as you know, if there is a significant move in bond markets, can you take advantage of that volatility? If there are trends appearing in currencies or commodities and things you don't ordinarily have exposure to in a long-only portfolio, uh, can that manager give you exposure to that? The, uh, the, the moves we're now seeing and the volatility we're now seeing uh, potentially is a risk, but it's also an opportunity, like I said before, if, if you're set up to harvest that volatility, if you have the skill set and you've seen this before, I think that's where as in every asset class, and it's particularly relevant for alternatives, have you seen this movie before? And, you know, thankfully we traded through 2008 and 2001 and the late 90s. We've seen not the same events, but we've seen these kind of sharp moves that take the market by surprise. So uh, we think there's just going to be more of these uh, short episodes of volatility that we're starting to see. Now, if you just take commodity markets, we've seen lumber prices uh, move up and down dramatically. Iron ore, we're now seeing it in gas markets. We're now seeing significant moves in markets such as aluminium, which nobody's looked at for years simply because it has a high component of energy uh, as an input cost. So uh, this is going to really change the way that things work and things cost, and we think this becomes more embedded. And so when you have more volatility in commodity markets, that becomes an issue for equities and bonds. Uh, central banks can't print their way out of commodity supply shortages. And you layer on top of that the fact that everybody's transitioning out of fossil fuels. Uh, we think that is a very big theme. And so for a portfolio, it's 
critical to have exposure to those types of markets where you can benefit from that kind of volatility. And it also provides an indirect hedge against that inflation. Isaac, um, is that, does that resonate with your thinking about, about the Oriana portfolios? Yeah, it, it does. And I'll pick up on, on something that, that Matthew said there around experience and, and seeing, seeing not this before because history doesn't repeat, but it, it, it often rhymes and, and you know, the, the, the importance of um, understanding uh, how, how these things could play out. We're not here to guess exactly how it will, but, um, you know, having some experience in that is really critical. And I think this, this is um, for, for allocators and for advisors out there and people who are managing uh, managed accounts or managing portfolios in general, you know, I think it's, it, you know, I can't stress enough that selecting alternatives within a, a portfolio it's not just as simple as going off and reading about David Swenson and his uh, experience at Yale and, and sticking your portfolio full of uh, alternatives and expecting that's going to deliver um, the sort of returns that he had and expecting that that's going to protect your portfolio in every um, every environment. It just doesn't work like that. It, it, I think um, you know the world of alternatives is uh, is vast. If if you accept, um, I, I guess at least our view of what an alternative is. The, the purpose that they're going to play in, in a portfolio is uh, is going to have you know lots of different purposes across the different strategies and and going out there and, and really getting clear around the um, the manager that you're speaking to their experience their capability the the way that they've behaved in various episodes the way they expect to behave in, in various episodes think about scenario testing think about stress testing. Um, think about how they're going to interact with your long positions uh, in equities and, and fixed income, which are going to dominate most portfolios. Um, you know, it, it's there's a lot of work in this. Uh, it's not easy, and as and you know, I, I really agree with Matthew about the outlook. It is very challenging. There's a lot of risks out there. I think if if you want to think about what the new normal for the next five years is, it's that there are a lot of risks that. That we know about, and and there's probably a whole lot out there that we simply don't know about. Um, throw throw alongside that higher inflation in the near term, slower growth and slowing growth in the near term. Um, you know, this this is an area that is critical. I think in in portfolio construction, it's an area where I think there is far too little time spent in getting it right because it is so critical. And uh, and and moving forward, it's going to become even more important. And I suspect even more of a driver of differences between risk-adjusted returns across different portfolios. Isaac Poole from Oriana Portfolio Services, Portfolio Advisory Services, Matthew Khalil from Janice Henderson. Thanks very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure for, for us to have you join us on this podcast. <laughs>